Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. And I also want to thank all my listeners from all around the world. It increases every day, and it's so much appreciated. They're coming from U.S., Canada, the United Kingdom, Norway, Germany, India, Israel, France, and Australia, just to name a few. I appreciate each one of you. And when you leave your comments and reviews, I do respond, and I appreciate that and I appreciate that it is you that is making the show work. Again, thank you. Today with me is Perry Hoskins. He is an author, an attorney, and he also has a degree in film and television production. He worked as a lawyer in New South Wales, Australia, before he embarked on a five month road trip all around Australia. What he gleaned from that experience is what he shares in his book, which is now in the editing stage, entitled East. He has also written a memoir entitled Millennium, a memoir, and he is going to share those experiences with us today, along with other parts of his life where he had to be tenacious and not give up. Welcome. Perry. Thank you, Carol. Thank you. So, Perry, you are coming to us today from New Zealand, and you are in the middle of winter. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, well, maybe just past the middle of winter, just kind of a little bit of a hint of spring just coming through, but still cold. <laughs> and how cold is cold where you are in your neck of the woods? Well, it's not too cold. It's what they would call temperate climate, so... Um, uh, maybe, you know, 15, 20 degrees, something like that. Oh, my goodness. That's like summer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So you have accomplished a variety of things in your life. I mean, um, uh, your degree in television and, and film production, you were, were and are an author. You are an attorney. And what else have you done that's been exciting in your life? And what would you like to share with us? What is the most exciting thing you've done? Well, I think some of the, the travel things that I've done have been exciting. I've, I've traveled around Europe, um, and I, when I was in Europe, I went to um, Morocco, and that was uh, that was quite exciting because, of course, mm. Morocco's in Africa, and um, that was before September 11th. Uh, but again, it was it's a it was a country where you tend to live. On on the edge. Yes. You know, I was uh, was actually threatened with a with a large knife 
by someone in the street. So, um, yeah, that was interesting. Well, tell us about that. <laughs> well, it was um, in in Morocco. It's a sort of place where people are all the local people are very poor and they're always trying to attach themselves to you to perform some little service, show you to a bank, show you to a travel agent, show you anywhere or just generally hang around and do something. And then the moment that you, that they perceive that you, they've done something for you, then they demand money that they've okay. performed a service. So that was what happened. And um, we were with a, um, myself and my uh well, I, I, the lady that I was with at the time, um, my, my wife, if you like, she um, she objected to the, the, the this person who had attached uh, himself to our group being paid, you know, a large sum of money, which he, he wanted. She wanted him to be paid a smaller sum. <laughs> so so um, she stopped one of these, these these other people giving him quite what was then quite a lot of money and and. Uh, this absolutely had a terrible reaction with the, the fellow who wanted to be paid. Wow. He, saw, he saw money and he saw it disappear, you know. So, yes. um, so as we as we walked away, he, he he abused us and then brought out a large knife and um, I had to make a split dis, split decision about what I was going to do and I calculated that um, he wasn't going to go through with it. So I just ignored him and, and kept walking uh, away. Didn't. Didn't Brave. Run. Wow. Yeah. And luckily I calculated right. Otherwise I would have got a knife in my kidneys, I would think. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So how did how did your wife respond when you started to walk away? Uh, she was pretty um, annoyed about the whole thing. And um, she she just managed to sort of keep herself under control. I, um and we managed to just just to get out of it. It was it was one of those kind of lucky close right, right. situations which turned out well. But um, it was a very close run thing, yeah. So in your travels, obviously you've traveled uh, extensively. Tell us about some of the places that um, hold special memories for you, and or or anything about that you would like to share because obviously this is what you you write about in your book as well, correct? Uh, yes, that's true. Um, and in the upcoming book, East, that's all about a trip I took around Australia. And I got to some of the the far and out of the way little places in Australia where most people don't go. Uh. And I found things out which people in the cities in Australia don't really even know about how the um, indigenous some of the indigenous population, Aboriginal population, live. Um, and it's a little bit like a third world uh, population living inside a first world country. Wow. Yeah, because Australia is a rich country. It's, yes. It's up there with, you, you know, maybe not as much as rich as the United States, but close. Um, and it's a, it's a rich country. It's a first world country. But um, the indigenous population uh, very much lags the the main population lags behind, and uh, I, I sort of saw the uh, addiction to alcohol amongst that population, and essentially drinking in in bars, which are in fact segregated. Well, I mean they're not segregated by law, but that's you know they've got a separate bar where right, the right. where the indigenous population drink, and it's it was really like a feeding pen in a zoo, you know, to be honest. 
Um, it was hosed out. There was no furniture in there. It was hosed out the next day. And, um, you know, the it was the sort of what you'd hear coming out of there and what you'd see going on in there was it was quite uh, shocking. Yeah. Was it scary? Uh, you know, I didn't feel like I was scared um, in terms of endangered, but it was just scary in the sense of um, those are human beings in there and, and you could see the uh, this huge sense of powerlessness, you know, that the alcohol had totally taken over. Wow. Yeah. There was no control over it. The, the alcohol was controlling those people. They didn't have any control over it. That's what I was getting, you know. And this is some of the things that you'll be sharing in the book East, right? Like those experiences? Yes, and and I think it will come as a shock to many people around the world, but also people within Australia, because in the cities in Australia, they don't know about it. It's it's too far out of the way, you know. Australia is a big country. Yes, yes. Bigger than the United States in geographical area. And uh, a lot of people just don't go into the outback, into the little places in the semi-desert area that a lot of people just never go there. They have no reason to and and except to explore, which is what you did, correct? That, that That's right. I was on an exploration trip, I suppose, a journey of self-discovery because I was a, it was kind of a turning 30 stage of my life. I just turned 30 and I wanted to kind of um, taste the last drops of being young before the cup passed forever. Um, so that's <laughs> That's where I was at. And Showing your wild oats, huh? Well, kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and but but more than that, it was an opportunity to um, sort of tap into what was happening within the country of Australia uh, at a deeper level and get to know the country at a at a deeper level beyond what's on the surface and what's in the tourist brochures, if you know what I mean. So is it is it written as a um as a story or is it written like a, a hist- history? Uh, it's written as a, like a first person narrative. Um, okay. A little bit like an Australian on the road. If you've read on the road by Kerouac. Okay. A little bit like that sort of genre. Um, and it, yeah, and it's, it's written as a sort of an autobiographical novel. Again, I don't use my own name, but it's based very much in my own, experience of what happened right right so now tell us about millennium this is the one that's that's already published it's out there it's available and what do you want to share about that well millennium is again um it's millennium is is kind of a, a sequel to to east in a sense um although East isn't out yet, so <laughs> so East will in, end up being a prequel to to Millennium, if you know what I mean. Right. Chron- okay. Chronologically, so it's a, using the same um, narrator. I the narrator I use is a character called Vince Osborne, uh, which is kind of an alter ego for me. Um, and Millennium was about a trip I took out to, into the Pacific Islands of Tonga uh, at, the, at the turn of the Millennium when. Tonga was claiming to be the first nation in the world that would see the sunrise on the new millennium. That's when. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So I went out there because I thought it was a a time, an important time in history, a a thousand year shift, you know, like a shift in a thousand years was an important time. So I decided I wanted to be part of that. And I I was there for um, 
about three weeks and um, I just kept a journal of what I did and what happened and the events that happened at the time with the intention to turning that into a, um, a book. So uh, eventually I did find some time some years later uh, and turned it into a book and, and published it. Uh, but in terms of your the, the theme of, of your radio series about overcoming trauma, at that time I'd recently um, gone through effectively a divorce uh, and uh, I was feeling a lot of emotional trauma and pain at oh. the time. And so a lot of that comes through the book. It's in a sense there's, there's quite a lot of that sort of um, kind of dark, um, inward-looking uh, side to that book, Millennium, because it's it's the narrator at the time, me at the time, was going through this trauma of this marriage breakup, and I was in a recovery sort of mode, and, um, and a lot of that really comes through in, in the book. Uh, but, but because it's like a thousand-year shift, and there's lots of other things happening in a, in a world sense, um, there's lots of different strands to Millennium. The major, the major strand perhaps is this emotional turmoil that the narrator is going through. But of course, there's lots of other things that are happening in terms of the thousand year shift and, uh, and the people that are, that I met there at the time and, and really what, what is actually going on in the world at this Millennium shift. So Millennium has a lot of different strands to oh, it. It's very interesting. Yeah. 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 Now, did, was the writing of the book therapeutic or was it more therapeutic after uh, people started reading it and reviewing and commenting? Uh, well, well, both. I think um, writing is, is, is therapeutic, uh, certainly for me. I don't know if it is for other people, but for me it is. And the, the funny thing is that when you um, pick over a chapter in your life and you write about it, you see patterns and rhythms. You see certain things that you didn't experience the first – well, you experienced it the first time around uh -huh. when you lived it, but you didn't perhaps understand it perfectly the first time around. You just kind of went through living living experiences as, as we do. Um, but when you go back and experience it for the second time by writing about it, you sort of taste life twice, I think it's been put, by writing about it. Uh, then you can see patterns and you can get an understanding of, of things and people and motivations and why things happened as they did that you didn't perhaps have at the time because, you know, at the time you're just rushing through and you've, as you do in life, um, trying to do a lot of things and get through a lot of things and you don't have time to contemplate and think about what really happened and why. But when you get to write about it as a memoir, you do and things can kind of fall into place. Especially when you look back at it, right? That's that's right. When you look back at it and with maybe some time, some years in between, yes. um, you get a, a different perspective and probably a, a better understanding of what actually happened and why. Um, yeah. And sometimes that's not a pretty picture, is it? No, that's that's right. But sometimes you can be a bit more forgiving of people as well. because That's you right. Yeah, you can kind of understand um, maybe where they were coming from and why they said they did said what they did or did what they did. It's a matter of perspective, and that's a good way. To, we have to look at it from different perspectives. Absolutely. Is there anything else in? Uh, well, do you have another book in you possibly that's going to be on a? Is it 
do, first of all, do you have another book in you? And if so, what is it going to be about? Well, um, I'm thinking about that. And um, it seems to me that what I do is I take various chunks of my life, various pieces of my life, various time periods, and I write, I write them up and then I present them to the, to the public. That's essentially what I'm doing here and, and as a kind of a gift to, to people. So um, the obvious thing for me would be to take another piece of my life and maybe go back earlier again, go back to the growing up years and, um, and, and share and share those. So that's a possibility. But, but at the moment I'm, I'm very focused on East because it's quite a big millenniums, a a novella length piece. It's, it's not a big, uh, but East is a full length novel. It's going to be over 300 pages. And, um, I'm very focused on on that material at this time and and doing the very best that I can with the editing to um uh to pre- to present the very best novel that I can write. Obviously you enjoy writing. Yes, I do. Um writing gives meaning to my existence. Um you know, I feel because I mean a lot of a lot of life is economic in the sense that we need to make money in order to pay the bills, you know, to to uh, have accommodation, housing and food and clothes and all the rest of it, education, whatever, feed families. Um, but life can be quite meaningless and dull if that's all that it's about, just serving those economic ends. So for me, uh, when I write, um, I feel like I'm doing something above and beyond the economic. It's it's. It has some meaning. It has some purpose. It it may connect with with others in a way that will maybe change their lives, give them another perspective on the world, give them a greater understanding. And um, there's been a couple of reviews of Millennium which have have been very touching in the sense that people have said that it that the, the, the book resonated, got to their heart. You know, they they felt it in their heart. You know, what and, part uh, would that be? Do you think? Did they indicate that or? Um, well, the, the review I'm thinking about specifically didn't. She just said that um, she reads a lot of books and uh, she's very interested in reading. And it's only very occasionally that a book finds a way to her heart. And, okay. and Millennium had done that. She didn't specifically say um, why. She did say that my writing was like John John Steinbeck, which was quite a compliment. Oh no, kidding! <laughs> Underscore that one and hang it out, right? <laughs> that that must have made you feel really good. Well, it it, it certainly did. I mean, um, there's been a couple of other comparisons. Some people have said kind of Hemingway, and I I thought it was, thought it was more like Hemingway. And um, then there was one other one other reviewer which mentioned. Um, Joseph Conrad and Robert Louis Stevenson, and that was a reviewer in a national magazine in New Zealand. So that was very, um, very nice to get that review. Um, I hadn't thought of either of those gentlemen, Joseph Conrad or Robert Louis Stevenson, but there you go. Someone picked up on that. That's wonderful. Yeah, That's and absolutely but, wonderful. And I'd never thought Steinbeck, but mind you, I've I've enjoyed Steinbeck Steinbeck uh, as a reader, and I've read several of his books. So you never know. Um, as you go through life reading and learning what what you absorb and and perhaps a little of it inspires you in your own work you know so when you were writing um who did you pattern or did you pattern uh anything from another author in your style 
Um, not consciously. I mean, I, I did, I've, as well as being, as well as having studied as a lawyer, I have a de- an arts degree in, um, well, like a liberal arts degree in English, right? So, um, as well, like a, a BA in English. Uh-huh. Uh, so back then when I was studying English and the various writers, I was attracted to the, uh, kind of the Hemingway style, which is shorter sentences and shorter words. Um, so I have a fairly sparse prose style, very, fairly economical. And um, so so that that's certainly come through. Um, and I think that's as a result of studying various authors and comparing various prose styles. Um, I just decided that was the one which rang true for me. So although I haven't consciously patterned um, Hemingway, I think um, – that certainly that shorter uh, economical prose style has come through in, in my own writing. And you had um, also taken or got a degree in film and uh, tell or was it film and TV production film and what was uh, it? It's, it's actually a, a postgraduate diploma in film and television production, um, which I completed at the um, Queensland University of Technology in Queensland, Australia. Um, yes, that I haven't actually gone on because I've got back involved in my legal career. Um, I don't have time to do everything. I don't have time for producing. No kidding. <laughs> I don't have time to produce movies or direct movies, although I'd love to do that. Would um, you like your book to be in a movie? Is that kind of what you're thinking too? Or? Uh, well, yes. And funny you should mention that because people have said to me it could be quite easily adapted, um, into a, a movie. And, uh, also, uh, again, going back to this idea of, of things that we learn coming through in our work, the way that I, I write um, is very visual. So um, I tend to build up a scene. So I'm writing in the present tense and, and, and the various – and I'm building up a scene and then it moves to another scene, then to another scene and another, and another scene. So my work could very easily be um, – uh, Someone who who's a um, who writes film scripts um, could easily take my work and and without too much work turn it into a movie. Yes. Would you consider writing the play script or no? Uh well, I, that was part of the the work that I did in my postgraduate diploma is, is script writing, and we looked at at some of the great film scripts like you know um, Chinatown is one of them, which starred Jack Nicholson. We looked at some of the the great film scripts and we, we did some work building up scenes. So, so yes, I mean, in theory I could do that, but um, it's not a priority right now. I mean, right now it's more, the writing itself is more of a priority and, and getting, getting more widely known, I suppose, as a writer of, of books first. Right. right. And as far as, um, Oh my goodness, I lost my train of thought. It's gone. It'll come back. Do you have a favorite quote or mantra that has possibly helped you, encouraged you? Um, well, there's quite a few over the over over the years that I've. Um, I, I think one of the ones that comes to mind immediately is I think Socrates said um, a very short quote which is know thyself um 
which is very, very short and yes. know thyself. And, and, and I think for me, that's, uh, been a very important part of my life. I, when I was 19, I learned, um, meditation and I've practiced meditation ever since then. And, um, to meditate for me is to know, know yourself is to, is to go deeper within yourself. And I've certainly found that within, within myself, there is the inner strength to keep going through adversity. And, uh, there has been some, quite a lot of adversity in my life. Um, marriage breakup was one, one time, but there's been other times of adversity. And, um, I've found that digging deeper, uh, within that internal resource inside, uh, it's there. The strength is there. And, and not only the strength, but the, um, the quiet place is there. You can get away from the mental chatter. And uh, also the revelation. Wouldn't you agree that, you know, a lot of times we, until we take that time to really look inside, we don't necessarily understand what is going on and it can reveal things to us that may or may not, you know, have been obvious to us. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. And, um, it's so necessary to take some time in, the, in no matter how busy um, life is and how much is going on, it's so necessary to take some time and just just go within, quietly go within and, and reach for that inner strength, um, which is there because what I've discovered is there is, in fact, a, an oasis inside um, where it's tranquil and peaceful and there's um, – it's calm, it's peaceful, and there's there's actually a great well of love love inside as well. Did you have to learn how to love yourself, especially after your marriage breakup? Very often, you you know, we put put ourselves down when we go through things like that. And and uh, did you have to deal with that at all? Uh yes, yes, I did, and um, that that whole thing brought about a whole other train of of self-learning and self-discovery because I had to look at um I couldn't just blame the other person uh I mean it, I guess it's kind of that's the easy way out is to blame the other person and say well it was all her fault well of course it wasn't um you know I I was at fault as well um and so I had to look at what what the issues were with inside of me and that brought another whole uh brought in, in another whole train of events, another whole train of discovery uh, that I went down to try and understand myself better at that emotional level. So that was a, a big learning experience of itself. It's all process, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's often it's often painful, but um, I think it, it's also very rewarding. I think that people who choose to unravel themselves over the course of their lives. It's a painful, often painful journey, but the rewards are there as well. And um, I think those people end up being happy, happier. And another thing I've noticed, they look younger. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tap into that really quick, right? <laughs> well, that, that's right. I think the, the people, to be, to be perfectly frank, the people that just push everything down and with, alcohol or whatever and just deny everything and keep going they they end up looking their very much looking their age and some um, i remember a woman telling me once that by the time you are 50 years old you have the face you deserve <laughs> <laughs> 
That's right. I think I think that quote originally came from George Orwell. I've heard oh, that. Okay. Well. All right. I was wondering where that came from. Thank you. Mm. Now, I remembered what I was going to ask you. As a civil litigator, do you think you might write a memoir regarding that time in your life? Well, that time in my life is, is, is quite an extensive one. It's been more than 20 years since I was admitted as a lawyer. Um, and there are things that happen um, that are interesting, and sometimes you get that kind of heartwarming feeling when you when you help someone in a legal case, and it kind of warms the heart. So, um, I guess I guess there are things that I could I could write there. I don't feel so compelled to write about that as I do the other experiences that I've had in life. Um, but in in East, for example, I mentioned. Uh, you know, um, something which happened when I went to a, a jail for the criminally insane and, and I had to take instructions from a murderer. So um, it kind of gets in there in my work. No anyway. kidding. That would be interesting. Absolutely. It was interesting. And um, the first thing that was interesting was he didn't look like a murderer. He just looked like a very average person. So, <laughs> so what does a murderer look like? <laughs> well, exactly. We we have this pic, we have this picture of what a murderer looks like. It's like some kind of ogre. And um, that's right. When I met someone, he was like a very average suburban sort of guy, you know, <laughs> that you'd meet every day of the week and not think anything of it. So um, there you go. Very interesting. So you definitely have had a full life. Do you feel like there are other things you would like to accomplish besides uh, writing? Well, yes. I mean, in terms of having a full life, I actually feel that I've lived probably three lives within the current amount of life I've lived. So, yes, it feels very full. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there other things to accomplish? Well, yes. Um, <clears throat> And I'd like to do more traveling and more writing. Um, I haven't yet had a fathered a child that I know of. <laughs> oh, that's a good yeah, clarify that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Some people don't know that, right? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I would know, to be honest. I'm just, okay. <laughs> someone would have tracked me down, I'm oh, sure. Oh, there you go. Especially um, when you're a big-time author, right? Well, I'm not a big-time author. <laughs> no, but that's the way they would look at it is what I'm saying. Yeah, well, people have a habit these days of tracking people down if there's, exactly, a, if, exactly. if there's a paternity issue. But, but no, I've been rather careful in that department, so um, <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to track me down. So any uh, special lady in your life? Uh, not not currently. Um, I am just find myself very busy with um, – with work and with with writing, so it's it, it hasn't been a, a huge priority. I mean, when it happens, it kind of happens. That's right. Uh, yeah, and I think sometimes when you're when you're not looking, it kind of it happens to you rather than going out and looking. And if you know what I mean, it absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you would like to share? Uh, that we haven't think, touched on. I think that's pretty much um covered it uh yeah i'm i'm fairly happy with the way things are going there seems to be a um a groundswell of interest in in the book that's coming out east from people who've read millennium and people okay. who have got some kind of an understanding of what it 
of the style that I write in. So I'm just looking forward to things getting kind of bigger and better and hopefully there'll be a little bit of a snowball effect that will happen over time. And um, I think that's the best way to look at it as an author. I mean, yes, it's been said that if you want to be an author, allow yourself 10 years. So it's not necessarily something that's going to happen in year one or year two, you know. That's a very good. That's a very good point. Very good point because there are a lot of people that expect it immediately. Mm, and I, I, and my life has taught me that 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 success is an incremental thing. It happens by small increments. And um, this kind of the the idea that someone's going to wave a magic wand and it's all going to happen. I think it's <laughs> that's more a fantasy than reality. And sometimes it does happen. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't necessarily uh, – I interviewed somebody the other day, and when and they were sharing with me you know, that when success comes and it comes too quickly, instead of taking the baby steps that are required to make your firm foundation or your building blocks, they crumble because you don't know how to cope. You don't know how to handle them. You haven't laid the foundation yourself. And, you know, looking at some of these kids that have become, you know, rock stars or, or whatever, or won the lottery is what she was talking about in particular, that um, you need that foundation and that growing process, which isn't can be painful and isn't necessarily quick. But it builds a foundation that you can later look back and say this is what I accomplished and it feels good and it feels solid and it is solid so I think the same thing applies to a lot of authors that are, are looking for the quick uh, bestseller overnight right I, I agree 100% yes that's certainly the case and um, yeah I'm, I'm happy for things to happen as they happen and uh, the main thing is to enjoy the journey and um, that's really what my life is about it's about um, enjoying enjoying the the journey moment by moment every day, you know, and and that's it's more about the journey than than the destination. That is an excellent. I like that. That's your new quote. Thank you. <laughs> Enjoy the journey moment by moment. And what was the last part of that again? It's more about the journey than the destination. Perfect. There you go. More about the journey than the destination, and that's essentially what you're writing about too, aren't you? That's right. That's right. And and um, in my books, it's it's about the journey. And, and when people read Eats, they'll they'll hopefully just have a very pleasant journey. But and when they come to the end, it'll just be the end. And maybe they'll think, well, what was that book about? And the answer was, well, it was about the journey. You know? <laughs> very well put. Well, when we get you um, your post done with everything, I will definitely have the links to your book and. And you don't know you don't have a date yet for the for the other one for East. Uh, not yet. I, I've okay. learned with, I've learned with the first book that that dates can shift, so it's it's absolutely not, it's not good to to, to that's put okay. Them, yeah, yeah. We we will add it later anyway, so they'll always um, you know as long as they are looking at the posts, they will see whatever you've accomplished and and uh, your bio and your all your links if they want to contact you. Um, I think that's exciting. Um, anxious to look at the books and we will probably talk to you again after East comes out and you get those reviews of people telling you who they, who they think you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be great. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you again, Perry. 
I really appreciate that you, you shared what you did today, and we look forward to your new book, East. My ple- yeah, my pleasure, and, and thank you, Graham, uh, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.